You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Leanne Tobin, a multidisciplinary artist. In this episode, we find out about Leanne's early life and upbringing in Sydney and her connections with Irish, English and Aboriginal, Darug, heritage. Leanne shares insights into what she describes as the hidden generation and profound ideas around secrets, suppression and identity. We chat about Leanne's ancestors, including Yarramundi, who met with Governor Philip in the late 1700s, and Yarramundi's daughter, Maria Locke, the first Aboriginal landowner in the Liverpool region. Leanne shares insights into her motivations to bring Durag's stories and history of places to the surface, and how this has informed her current exhibition at the Kasula Powerhouse Arts Centre Memories of Water, Badu. We learn how Leanne's artwork reveals glimpses of life from pre- and post-colonisation in the Liverpool and Kasula area, where the Georges River flows. We explore how Leanne uses mixed media, oil pastels, acrylic paint, ochre, glass, audio and other media to nurture respect for the stories of country and of Darug people past and present. While listening, you might like to check out Leanne's Facebook page, Tobin Art, to see photos of her various artworks. The link is in the show notes. Here's my conversation with Leanne Tobin. Very nice to see you again, Leanne. Yeah, lovely to see you too, Mark. Be able so to we do, do a little casual walk along the river. Yep. So we do have a bit of a breeze. It's popped up. But... Um, Hopefully it's not interfering with the mic. Oh, no, it's got a little... Cover. Cover. So where are we? We are down on the banks of the Georges River in Kasula. And I can hear a train in the background. Yes, yes. Kasula train station. The train train runs by and we're at the the old power station, which is now a, a, a beautiful art gallery space. Yep. So for those that are not familiar with Sydney, um... Kasula's in the southwest near Liverpool. That's right. It's on Gabrigal country, the land of the Gabrigal people. Gabro is the mangrove worm. Gul is people. So people of the mangrove worm. And uh, that was one of the many clans of the Durrick people. So my exhibition's sort of based around bringing them voice, their, their voices to the surface. And I'm not real good walking and talking. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to let you know. <laughs> we can just have a seat, seat yeah. there. It's a bugger, but that's... I did notice yeah. that was noisy, that kind yeah, of... Yeah, um, the generator there. The generator? Yep. So we'll just... Oh, yeah, here. Yeah, well, this, we'll is, the photo, down this there. is where we did the photo shoot too. Yep. So you, you've got an exhibition on here, so we'll find out a, yeah. a little bit about yeah, that yeah. in a minute. Yep. But I thought we could just start with... Um, oh, who are you? Here. Where'd you come from? Okay. Where, did you grow up near here? Um, well, gosh, that's we an interesting story. We no, well, I'm going slow, so it'll be okay. Um, yeah, my name's Leanne Tobin, and um, I am a proud Durrug woman uh, from the Burra 
which is out near Hawkesbury, Richmond area, people of the kangaroo, Wurru, Wurruburong, and uh, Wamali, which is Prospect Hill, sort of Blacktown region. Two different Durrid clans that my ancestors came together and yeah, I'm related to, and down the line, Yarramundi, who was uh, one of the first to meet up with Governor Phillip when he came out to the Hawkesbury Nepean area, or the Durrubbin we call it. Um, yeah, so his daughter was the first enrolment in the Institute, which was set up by Governor Macquarie. So my family have been very involved with uh, first contact time. Uh, in the Sydney region and Yarramundi was a esteemed elder, uh, Karaji. Karaji's like a clever man and um, when you see his name pop up in the records it's always in a negotiating role having to negotiate uh, you know for peaceful coexistence basically because his people were being slaughtered so and dying of disease so he's a I guess he's a motivator, and then his daughter Maria, graduating with, uh, you know, topping the colonial exam at the time, she uh, then went on to marry an illiterate convict, and her name pops up in the records. Her traditional name's Bolongaya, which is uh, native qual, place of native quals. Um, her name pops up regularly in, you know, documents like surveyors' maps, court documents because... Uh, what sort of era? We're looking at, um, she was born around 1806. Um, Yarramundi was meeting with Governor Philip on the banks of the Hawkesbury around 1794, I think, or 92, one of those times, not real good with numbers, but... When did you find out all of this? Did you know it when you were growing no, up? No, because it was a big secret. And this is what people... What is that? What do you mean, big secret? Well, many people don't understand that the impact that happened when Aboriginal people were sort of interrupted, really. It was a total disruption of their everyday life when uh, the British arrived and took over and took possession of country, basically, and introduced diseases. And um, so, you know, you found people who were uh, having to uh, struggle to get recognised and um, to be acknowledged as time went on, generations. It was safer to hide away. My grandmother made the decision to keep a secret. And uh, that secret was not telling her kids about their Aboriginality, even though they were surrounded by cousins. My mum talks about how she used to come home crying because they, they're calling me cuz, all those webs and whatever. And her mother, her mother, my grandmother, would just say, oh, they call everyone in the street cuz, don't worry about it. They were actually her cousins. But everybody kept the secret because everyone was learning to survive in different ways because it was such a, a scary time to be Aboriginal. You know, my mother was born in 1933. I had to tell her, you know, you were born in that terrace house, Mum. She was born in a terrace house where the Albion Hotel is on the uh, Parramatta River. She was born there with a lot of other Durrick families had their babies and women had their babies there because it was the, the year of the White Australia policy and Aboriginal women weren't allowed to have their babies in hospitals. So, you know, consequently, you've got a lot of those stories. Mum's story was that, and my grandmother chose to hide it because she was bringing up six children on her own. Her 
partner, her husband was an Irish uh, drunk, unfortunately, and violent, and um, she ended up divorcing him, which was unheard of in those days. And so my grandmother brought up her six children. Um, you you yeah. being one of them? No, well, I'm, no. I'm, no, I was the, I'm the granddaughter. My grandmother brought up her six children. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so they all had to sort of work their own way around that whole business and not not knowing about their Aboriginality because it just wasn't spoken about. It was not talk, discussed or talked about. So when 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 was it, like when can you remember the hmm. first or some an early memory of when that came well, into your oh, sphere? Well, my story is very different, but my mother grew up with little snippets. Like, um, you know, she said, you know, we didn't realise, but she'd be taken out to LARPA, out to LARPA Roos, to visit other family members. And... Uh, you know, her mother would say to her, and when you get out there, there's going to be all these black fellas sitting on, all these old men. You keep your eyes to the ground. Do not look in their eyes. And so mum just never thought twice about that. That's just what happened. And, you know, they'd still be fishing for eels from Parramatta River. My uncles used to make canoes out of corrugated iron and glue them together with uh, tar off the road, bitumen off the road, and go fishing for eels. You know, God, you wouldn't want to do that now, but... That was a thing back then. And so there was little snippets of, you know, the duan, which was our death bird. Mum knew of that because her mother would react when she heard it, because it would signal death, imminent death in the family or someone close. So all those little things were there. But mum, you know, that was just her mum. She didn't know that was anything to do with anything. Until later on, mum found out when she was in her 50s after her mother had passed away. Um, she died with that secret. And I found out I was in my 20s living up in Kakadu, middle of Jabiru, uh, in the middle of Kakadu National Park as a teacher. Went up there for my first teaching position. What were, you, what were you teaching? Well, I was primary teacher, but I ended up doing Aboriginal resource before I even found out about my Aboriginality, which was quite mm. weird. And at the time, this old Aboriginal woman, when I was sitting with kids and reading stories, I remember her poking my arm saying, you're not all white. Wow. I did not know what the hell she was talking about. Yeah. It was like a couple of months after that that I got a phone call from my cousin who'd done our family tree. And see, our family is so well documented, being first contact time. And we were those people that were engaging with the British on the coal front, if you will, you know, that uh, they copped it first. And so our families documented, well documented within the... uh, British records, you know, blanket distributions and different uh, census um, records, movements. They were very uh, meticulous, the British, with their record keeping when they first got here. And, you know, that's one of those weird things. We lost a lot, but at the same time, we have a lot because they kept those records, whereas other Aboriginal families just, you know, further away from Sydney don't have that. Mm. You know, and you lose those connections. You become very disconnected when you haven't got that you know, that connection back through your family, where you're from. So in, in regard to your teaching, did you train as, like... As a primary teacher in, in uh, Nepean, CAE. It was a CAE. Oh, yeah. I know the CAE. Yeah, College yeah, of Advanced yeah, Education. that's right. Yes. Did my, um, just a diploma, teacher's diploma. And um, we used to live up... Well, my mum and dad moved around a lot. Dad was in the RAF. And that was initially what got us... Mum, mum met dad. She was also in the RAF. She joined to escape her family um, and ended up uh, meeting dad, she was working for him and 
you know, they ended up falling in love and then, you know, they moved around everywhere and all of my siblings are born in different states of Australia. So I was born in Newcastle, you know, my brother was born in Ipswich, another sister was born in Canberra, another one was born in Ballarat, so, you know, we did the moves. Um, then Dad left the Air Force and we ended up going off to, um, yeah, we were up and down for a little while with the Air Force and the Air Force ba barracks up there and we moved back to Dad's family in Ballarat. Dad's family are Irish undertakers, so the, that's very different. That's another tale. Oh, I really, have to meet again for, for that tale. Oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> well, we've got a lot of Irish um, in our family, and ironically, there's a lot of uh, Irish. Well, not ironically, it's sort of like circumstances. Interestingly, brought Aboriginal or... and Irish families together because they were on the bottom rung of the British ladder. You know. So when you were in Kakadu and you were doing this, this sort of um, the work that you were doing that was related to teaching, mm. what what happened? Like, how did that resonate with you? Well, the weird part for me, Mark, I went up there thinking I was going to teach. I was this new teacher, and woohoo, you know, I'm going off and I'm going to teach everyone. Hey, that happens, yeah. And I was taught. I was so taught. I ended up becoming um, a very, very. Uh, um, eager student I wanted to learn and I got totally accepted straight away to the Aboriginal community up there they just loved me and I would help out wherever I could with different things um, you know getting the old fellas out of the pub in case they got in trouble I'd take them home stuff like that and um, you know got well known and uh, accepted skin name all sorts of things and uh, yeah when I found out it was like this oh, you could have knocked me over. I was just so shocked to find out about our connection to Sydney. And to be honest, I couldn't wait to get out of Western Sydney when I was young. Like that was the first thing I did when I could. I left and went off, went up to Brisbane, then off to Darwin, Jabiru. And uh, here I find I'm connected through Mum's family, which was always kept fairly quiet. And we knew Mum's mother, I knew my nan. Um, even mum now, when we look at photos, God, how did we not know she was Aboriginal? <laughs> we, how did we not know? Because she, she just looks, but she, would ver she was very conscious. And I remember the expression of putting your face on. Mum uses it too, where it was always, you know, and you had to look your best when you went out. You couldn't just go out. You had to look good. And the house was always kept clean. And, you know, it was all those sort of stigmas that sort of carry over from, you know, being urbanised and... Uh, suppressed and made to feel that you need to conform and forget your identity um, that was that era and see our era we're allowed to talk about it now and so yeah I feel an obligation to speak up for those who didn't have a voice so that's what brought me into this I went up there and I in Jabiru I was totally immersed in the Aboriginal way of life up there in knowing what plants you could eat the connections of plants, indicator plants, what brought on the seasons, what heralded the seasons, different animal movements, because the kids would be telling me. And I was working as an Aboriginal resource teacher for a while there too. So I was teaching the kids who were coming in out of the bush English and how to hold a pencil and how to do ABC. Yet I was learning so much. It was the most amazingly rich and rewarding time of my life up there. Well, I was up there for three and a half years and just no TV, no computers. So it was just all you know, fishing after school and, you know, interacting with people and, yeah, learnt heaps. Learnt so what heaps. era was that? Uh, 1986 to about 85, 86, 87. 
yeah, around that time. And then what happened? I guess we've got to, we want to try and uh, bridge the gap. Yeah, well, it, for I had this to moment. sit with it, Mark. I had to sit with that. That knowledge was very um, daunting. I didn't know what to do with it. Like, I didn't say anything to anyone. When I was what about your other family members? Or Well, everyone was going through the same adjustment. My sister, who's eight years younger, she grew up with it. So she was sort of primary school when she found out. So she's got a totally different immersion, you know, whereas... Uh, I had to go through this whole, you know, re-evaluate, you know, you can't look at Australia Day the same. Like, to- think everything, my dad was in the rap, so we had this whole, you know, standing for God Save the Queen and all of that. I grew up with that and a very Catholic upbringing because my d- dad's family were very Irish Catholic, you know, very strict, um, you know, always involved with the church and all of that. And, um, yeah, mum's was just this sort of secret we didn't really know much about mum's family because they were a bit wild and woolly and nothing was talked about um, lots of gaps and uh, you know getting older I understand why now and it's sort of become a bit of a passion of mine now because I encourage people to tell their own personal stories Aboriginal people uh, to tell their own family stories because all those family stories are part of the whole picture and all those stories uh, make up uh, the collective of what happened to Aboriginal people, especially the ones on the, the war front, so to speak, you know. Um, we were, I call us the hidden generation. It's, I used the term up there, one of the women said, oh, we're the hidden generation. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly right, because we had to go underground to survive. And, you know, my grandmother made that decision. We changed, you know, my mum's pale enough to pass as white. She'd be mistaken for Maltese and Greek and <laughs> I'm part Maltese. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, that's where mum would be asked, are you Maltese? Anything, anything but Aboriginal. No one ever associated that, and mum didn't know. So, you know, it was sort of like this really sad sort of uh, uh, hangover that was passed on through generations to have shame attached to being black. And mum would say, you didn't want to be Aboriginal, they were dirty and poor. I thought, yeah, unfortunately, people miss the subtleties of the Aboriginal cultural way the subtleties of being part of the landscape. You know, terra nullius, I mean, no, they couldn't be more wrong. They were totally, people of the country were totally connected and interconnected with everything and understood so much about what they saw. And white fellas who came here were starving. Oh, just looking at the little- Oh yeah, I yeah, saw, yeah, I saw him one. earlier. a baby one, little uh, Eastern water dragon. He's only a baby. You better look out for those eagles. <laughs> I've got bigger ones at my place. They they love my place. That's a beautiful thing. So yeah. were you doing like a lot of, around that time, were you doing a lot of um, extra research or talking to people mm. or how did you, yeah. you know, I, I keep thinking of this, I think it was daunting you said, the yeah, word? Yeah, totally. Well, then, I didn't talk about my Aboriginality at all. Um, like, what am I going to say? There's all these very black faces, very much connected to country and living traditional way. Kids in my class were disappearing for a couple of months when they went off for initiation ceremonies. So that was still happening. I was part of that. I was involved with the communities. One stage I was driving a bus, you know, picking the kids up from the creek beds, you know. Beep, beep, school time. And then Don't mothers be dragging them onto the bus, coke off to school. So what did you think of, of that? I loved it. I, look, I felt totally at ease. Before I got up there, I was a bit of a greenie anyway. I was always an environmentalist, you know. 
always um, you know pro looking after the water looking after uh, where you live all that sort of thing and it just consolidated it for me it just made sense total sense well the beautiful thing like the teaching aspect because I was a new teacher so this is my first teaching job and green as in an environmental disaster town like it was a uranium mining town like I was just confronted and my first artwork actually one of my first major artworks of course sold for pittance uh, God knows where it is now but it's a picture a self-portrait of me with two kids Aboriginal kids hiding behind a tree and the Ura U Ranger uranium mining card flying off in the air with dollar signs everywhere and it was a commentary about the fact that they were raping that country um, taking this toxic stuff out of the land and you know there were signs saying warning wind up windows you know when we were driving over tailing dams and things because there was dust on the road where it over spilled um, I had uh, Aboriginal kids still living traditional way um, teaching me and telling me stories and I was just an eager learner you know I learned all about the bush connections and food did that first artwork get a bit of um, traction or, you know, did it resonate with no, an audience? Well, or? Yeah, yeah, people loved it. I mean, people love my work, which is one of the advantages I've got. It's I make pretty pictures, right? They're beautiful pictures that encourage people to come and have a look. And I do that because, you know, when I paint something, it's never with an intention of an audience, weirdly. I do it for my own learning. What's the purpose of art? I know. I do it for my own learning. It's like consolidating my learning. That's what it is. And so that's how it's taken off. And that's what this is up there too, because I realise the power of that. It's a very powerful medium because it's uh, unobtrusive. Uh, you can wander in and, you know, you can look at it from a distance. You can go up close, but you are driving as, an, as a spectator. You don't have to engage with that. But I purposely do artwork that's going to encourage people to step forward and have a closer look. And when they step forward and have a closer look, there's lots of symbolisms, lots of layers of stories on my artwork, and I do that on purpose. But, uh, you know, I also use art for teaching. It was a fantastic uh, medium for teaching because I'd have kids skipping out of my class saying, oh, we never do any work in Miss Tobin's class. And ha, 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 yeah, you do. Because I'd use murals and, you know, beautiful uh, ways of uh, doing art, art that, um, you know, taught language as well. I reckon if we walk up yep. and we'll, we'll go into the yeah. actual gallery space. Yeah, yeah. And um, maybe on the way there, you can tell us just the context. How did this? Yeah. Of, what was the background? Because oh, we've there's got, a story. I feel, I feel as though we've, we've, we've kind of got all this stuff about your art making practice that yeah. we ha haven't heard. Mm. But you know, I guess it's kind of maybe if you set the context as we approach the <coughs> the gallery okay. space. All right. Well, it was, uh, I was asked to be on a panel with Robin Coughlin. She's another Durag artist, very independent uh, worker she is. And uh, it was a retrospective of her life work. And I was asked to be on a panel with her. And uh, well, weirdly, because I've been here my first uh, artwork I'll come back to that story but my first artwork that was recognized was in the Milpra at the old gallery and uh, it was um, I won the uh, Maria Locke award <laughs> and they didn't know I was actually related to Maria Locke 
Who's Maria Locke? She's Yaramundi's daughter. And I'm a descendant. So it was like a reward. So I'd started uh, researching her and I'd written her, a play about her uh, story, her life. So As you I'd do. Write a play. See, it's a big story. So <laughs> <laughs> got to find other ways to tell it. <coughs> so yeah, that's what happened. And uh, yeah, it grew from that. And uh, consequently, that piece is actually in that show um, because they had the Milper Awards, which were Aboriginal uh, Art Award every year. <coughs> and uh, we did that. I did that for many years. Consequently, all the prizes were acquisitive. They've got six of my artworks in their collection. So, all right, so they yeah. so they get gallery or the museum yeah. they've already got yeah. some of your artworks yeah. and then they yeah. built the exhibition yeah. they said, around that include some of these i said all of them because they're all uh they're all processes they're all part of my learning every single one in here i like it i really like the fact that you keep referring to your yeah. learning yeah which is very really <laughs> cool a teacher learning, i know because you, know. you never stop learning i think the day you stop learning is the day you die You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Yeah, but learning's the key because that's what it's all about for me. And I think you can see from here, see that baby in the tree? Yes. That was the Maria Locke Award. Oh, wow. Yeah. When was that one done? Ah, good question. Created? 1990. Seven-ish, I don't know, we have to have a look. Oh, it might be earlier than so that. So is it like brush? It might be earlier than that. No, it's actually scraffito with oil pastel, which oh. is a technique you use in primary teaching. You know, where you put all those colours down, then you put the black over and then you scratch through it. I know yeah. that technique. It looks well, really nice from yeah. a distance. So I'm oh, it's a stunning, it's a stunning piece. I'd be pleased to go up to it yeah. and, and see the detail. And see, that was that one where you're looking at... Um, did you want to sit somewhere else, or what do you think? Yes, all right. Yeah, yeah okay. Right. Yeah, noise. Okay. Yeah. Well. Well, we the, are in the ga- we are in a ga- ga- gallery uh, gallery space. Gallery yeah. space. Well, that particular piece was um, me looking at those stories of how we come to be here. You know, like um, Aboriginal people, and they're well. I don't know if this is for all of Australia, but I know for us. Um, we're like, we come like falling stars and land in certain places and water holes and in, 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 the spirit of the child embeds itself in trees, in water holes and fish and, and then women become impregnated with that baby. So, you know, that's why there's a couple of paintings that allude to that story in there because that was me exploring that notion and having to think about it. And then, you know, it really was um, one of the main things. Was, I think I mentioned it earlier was that um, I was asked to be on a panel. Yeah, what's that? What's well, panel? that was what's, what does that that's mean? what inspired this exhibition. Because I could have done anything. Look at an event or something, or no? I was invited panel. to be a guest speaker with Robin Coglin, whose exhibition was in this space. Um, another Darug woman, 
who has been a you know international fashion designer and quite amazing just for one woman with not much around her and coming from very poor and very sad upbringing to being so incredibly inspiring. So it was a pleasure to be on the panel with her because I've, I've done Welcome to Countries myself here as a Dara person because it's Gabrigal country. We're on the land of the Gabrigal people. Um, Gabramatta or Cabramatta is named after the Gabrigal people. Cabramatta being place of many mangrove worms. So anyway, my turn came to speak and I actually did a welcome and acknowledged we're on the land of the Gabrigal people. Uh, people who are of this place. This is the battles we've got now though, Mark, is we've got this ridiculous situation where you've got land councils that are filled with people who are not from here and calling themselves cultural authorities of the place. And it's infuriating because they don't even know the true stories of place. They don't know the true stories of here and they deny the blood connections here. And whether you like how we look, whether you like how we're taught, whatever, this is what happened. This is a product, I call myself a walking textbook of what happened. This is colonisation right here, Irish, with an English convict thrown in and an Aboriginal mob from Sydney. Bang. Contextualised right there. And to me, I, you know, I'm just speaking my truth. I'm speaking my family's truth and the fact that I'm speaking on behalf of my mother and my grandmother and all those ones who were silenced. So, you know, those things have made it more pertinent and important to speak up because they didn't have the chance and they didn't they weren't allowed the chance to speak. So given that trigger that mm. that you know and your experience with on the panel, mm. did then what happened then, like in terms of this this what we're seeing in mm. front of us now? What well was I was approached to do a an exhibition, have a solo exhibition, my first one. How exciting. Here, you know, and I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. And of course the first thing in my mind was Ah, we need to reassert our presence here out in this area because it's neglected. And I'm telling you now, the skill of art um, is such a powerful vehicle for telling stories and establishing you know, place for me, because my stories and paintings are always about place, you know, um, connection to place, so reasserting. How, how does one, or how do you go mm. about, like if you've, you've got a few artworks created already, mm. I can't think of what the, not archival, what was the word you used? Uh, they were acquisitioned or something? Yeah, acqui acquisitions, yeah. I don't know, that there was a phrase you used. Ac they were, oh, well, they were acquired, yeah. they were part of the um, collection. So they existed. Yeah, and already, you, yeah. Six, six over the years, 20 odd years I've entered off and on, Milpur Prizes. And then you were given, I guess, do they call it a brief or do they, they well, approach no. you? Oh, they just contacted me, would you be interested? And you said, yes, yeah. of course yeah, I am. Absolutely. So then, and then what happened? How do you go well, then about... then I just was so infuriated by that panel. That yeah, just went, so you're taking okay. this infuriated... Absolutely, that's how I do it. And that's how I do it. And what I thought, did you do okay, then? Did well, you, now, you reach for the cupboard to get the, yeah. the oil pastels or...? Mm. Well, I, I just straight away just went... No, it's the themes that come first. The art is very uh, incidental, okay. I've got to tell you. I never have pre-designs in my head of what artwork's going to happen. I, and I teach art and I tell students this. If you've got an idea in your head what the outcome's going to be, you're going to have a really hard time. Because it, it, you're stopping yourself, you're hampering yourself, you're stifling yourself. Whereas if you allow yourself to go on a journey with that painting, it'll take you where it's going to take you. And uh, a lot of my artwork is that. It's, um, I'll have an idea, and they'll go, oh, I'll just try this out. Oh, oh, that looks good, I'll just do that. And oh, I'll take that. And I let the painting 
it's so much more rewarding and not as frustrating as when you're trying to you know make it right and getting infuriated because it won't go a certain way i don't do that and it's so what, was one, what was one of these ideas? Okay, just well, the glass is straight away the first thing that everyone just um, loves my glass work. And I know the eels have just kept on keeping on. I had a, a commission, I was approached, and this is another way that I've allowed to, I've surrendered to the process and I have no expectations. Surrender and no expectations are my little mantras that I've had for about 10 years, which helps because I've had a lot of ill health as well. I've learned to um, allow that to be the, the guide that um, helps me um, pull up when I'm getting too caught up with things. You know, expectations can be a killer. You know, when you're, oh, it's gonna be this and it didn't happen. Now, it's incredible, I'll just go, oh, we're going over here now, rightio. Oh, now we turn around, oh, we're going this way now, rightio. So much easier. So I used to be a control freak. And I had to get. I had to let that go. For people that are listening, yeah. I mean, I don't mean to yeah, yeah. A, have a pun, but no, can, no. can you paint us a picture? Yeah. For the people yeah. that are listening, you're sitting there, and an idea's come to you. Mm. But what what was one of the key ideas? Well, for me, that that panel, I just straight away went, oh wow. We need to reassert our presence out here. Okay. And I know that That's there a are, really strong yeah, idea. Oh, full on. And, you know, even Durham people, like I had one woman say, well, what, you're not the only one doing work out here. I said, no, that's not what I'm on about. Like, I was shocked, actually, because that's not how I see it. But um, I realised, oh, you know, I've got to be careful because these are other people's stories I'm carrying now. And I was approaching people who have got family connections to this place. The only connection I have out here as a Durag person is that Maria Locke got a land grant when she married this illiterate convict out here at um, adjacent um, Reverend Cartwright's uh, huge expanse of land that he got granted. And uh, her and Robert, because he was a carpenter, worked there and she worked with the children and he worked um, as a carpenter on Robert, Lo uh, Robert um, Cartwright's, Reverend Cartwright's uh, um, land until he finished with that and then wrote a letter, Reverend Cartwright wrote a letter to the governor requesting they be moved off the property because of their itinerant nature. How do you manage oh, I know. all of this information and all of this <laughs> history? Like, and then you kind of like got a, well not that time's ticking away, but mm. like a, a mm. gallery or mm. a, an art space has given mm. you, a, a, you know, yes, come mm. and create some artwork, but then yeah. you've got such an enormous amount of information. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do I you know. process do you, all of that? How do you pull it in? How did you? Well, okay, well, I'll just... What part of it was for me, I had to... Um, basically, I allow things to happen, and I let... This is where, you know, I never used to be terribly spiritual. I didn't think I was, but I actually am, because I'm like a vehicle, like a channel. And things come and I just felt, okay, how can I do this? I need to give voice to those Gabrigal people. I know there's heaps of them, heaps of descendants from people from here. You know, Pemoy's got connections out here as well. So his family, um, I've got a representative of his family. I've got a representative of another woman, Kathy Lean, her our ancestor, Lucy Lean, married an Irishman. And her, her history is on the river where she approached the governor for a grant to get a boat to conduct business and of course didn't get the grant but the fact that she wrote letters and that tells you of the type of t 
tenacity. And that's some you know? of the evidence you were mentioning yeah, earlier. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So I have those. I'm not terribly good at documentation. I'm not a very good um, record keeper. I'm not very good at... Well, they're your artworks, are I know, that's it. <laughs> and they haven't got dates and numbers on them because I'm really hopeless at that well, stuff. Well, they do now. Yeah. They're in a part yeah, of that's an exhibition. Right. That's right, and they are able to then provide a stimulus for other people to go and want to learn more. So, so what do you, like how do you decide if it's something's going to be made out of glass or made out yeah. of oil pastel yeah. or flat or yeah. like do you sort of just wake up one morning and go I know, I got it or it something. It is a bit like that, it is a bit like that. Like I decided that um, these people who are from here needed to be visible. So know. you did part of your process. Oh, wait till we go around the people. corner Mark, you'll get, oh yeah. That's yeah. what that noise is. That's why we're sitting out here doing it. Because yeah. in there, the women are talking. I had them all yeah, interviewed. Okay. Talking about their childhoods around here growing why up. Why is that important? Because people need to see the real people. They need to hear the real people. And not just um, hearsay from a land council saying we don't exist, you know. Like I'm, that's the biggest thing for me, Mark, is that we have been powerless for a very, very long time without a voice. And to have people stand up and say, uh, welcome to country, they're from a Wiradjuri country or somewhere totally different and they've come through circumstances that they were was beyond their control back in the day and you'd think they'd have a bit more respect knowing that but because they've got now a couple of generations living on country and we're a very pale looking white fellow looking types it's easier to push us to the side and the lack of knowledge instead of helping us stand up I see them as we've got our fingers on the edge of the bloody cliff and they're stepping on our fingers you know, and doing a second wave of invasion. That's how it feels to us now, colonisation on another level. It's really, really upsetting. It gets me upset just talking about it, actually, because I just think it's so disrespectful. And if you were to reverse, and I always do this in my everyday life, if you were to reverse a situation and put yourself in the other person's shoes, would they accept that from a Durrad person going into their country doing that? I don't think so. But because we've been smashed so much that we've lost so much, and a lot of our, you know, physical evidence in trees and rocks and engravings have been built on and destroyed. It's very easy to forget us. But uh, what they didn't work out is that we've actually now armoured up with all the tools that came with those new invaders. And we actually now have ways of telling our stories and it's, we're getting louder and bigger because people are now feeling okay to stand up. And I've had many, many people, because I taught in the jail for a, a little while as well, teaching inmates what do they call them in there, offenders? I say inmates because it's a horrible system, horrible. Um, you know, it's supposed to be corrections. No, it's not correcting, it's punishment. But, um, you know, all these people who've been dispossessed, disconnected, it's a lack of connection. And, um, you know, I used to tell them there, you know, those gaps are actually part of our story. We're allowed to have those gaps, that's what happened. And in fact, those gaps are our song lines, they're our dreamings now, we need to actually put them in, make them visible, those gaps. Yeah, sorry, we don't know about this because we lost a lot of this and it was actually a concentrated effort by the British to destroy it, to separate, to divide families, to take babies and adopt them out, to remove them from their families so that they don't know those stories. And we were the first stolen generation. That's what happened with Blacktown Parramatta Native Institute. My great-great-great-grandmother, Maria Locke, was the first one on the enrolment. So, you know, her, uh, we often wonder about what happened there because Yarramundi was meeting with Governor Macquarie at the time, a lot of negotiating. Macquarie had set up these feast days 
and I can't go past St John's Church in Parramatta without thinking of these masses of people sitting around in circles. And you see there's a sketch of um, a whole bunch of Aboriginal mobs sitting around from different places. They'd come even as far as Bradbury. Now, Windradine came over the mountain, travelled down to Parramatta to meet up on these feast days. You know, it's uh, another ironic thing. Maria Robert Locke getting married in St John's Church there on Australia Day, 26th of January. Mm. Now, the date, really bad with dates. I'm, I'm going to guess 1824. I think it was around that time. But yeah, um, you know, really huge, huge monumental things that no one knows about. This is Australian history. I it's like, not Aboriginal history, it's bloody Australian history. I like the fact that it's something that's not there mm. and invisible is, is kind of has a presence. It's kind of like mm -hmm. a, it yeah. doesn't make logical sense, yet no. there it is. That's it's it. kind of felt. That's it. And people get shocked that they don't know. And I encourage, because I get asked by schools, well, what, what can we do, you know? I don't want tokenistic boomerangs painted up on bloody NAIDOC day. No, please, spare me. You know, there's so many more powerful ways to, to, to honour NAIDOC Day and actually learn about your neighbourhood. Learn about and your neighbourhood? Yeah. Yep, so yeah. Well, a big one for me is, you know, and people say, well, how are we going to do that? We don't know the history. Look a lot long at the, at the geological form of that place, wherever you are, be it in the suburbs, you've got drains that cover, once upon a time, creeks that provided water for the people who lived along that place. You know, and once you start looking at the waterways, you see the living spaces that people lived in. Badu. Badu, yeah, Badu. That's what that is, water. So I've got that exhibition's called Memories of Water, Badu. And I purposely have done English first and then the, the Aboriginal after because I want people to understand what this exhibition's about. Unfortunately, they don't know the, tr the traditional language that spoke for thousands of years here. Um, they know the English, but the Badu afterwards is a little reminder of the word that is part of this place. You know, you have Badu there. You know, it was Tagia, Tagia, the, the river, the traditional name of the Georges River. You know, we've got traditional names that are still around that people don't realise. You know, Parramatta, when you tell people, Barramatta, Barramatta, Barra is eel. Matta is place of many. So it's a place of many eels. So, you know, it's frustrating, but, um, you know, this is why I do what I do. So do you conceive that is like the driver for your creative expression? Yeah, yeah, is is that yeah, kind of uh, yeah. less than optimal situation? Yeah, yeah, because it's a big voice. And that's why I've written plays. I've written two of them. I've had one um, that's ready to go. I've had it reworked. People like Wesley Enoch had Miranda Tapsell in, in a public reading, all sorts of high-profile people massage and work this play that I wrote 11 years ago and we had another look at it last year uh, Urban Theatre Playwrights UTP yeah they worked with um, I'm really bad with uh, acronyms actually so yeah is it UTP anyway they um, paid to sit with a dramaturg who worked through it again Kathy Craig is a good friend of mine and the play is a really strong play that one day I hope will be able to be performed because it's four Durrid women, four generations, Maria Locke being a spirit form that walks through, and the other three are my grandmother who kept the secret, my mother who didn't know the secret, and then me as, you know, sort of a com compiled character, but someone who found out the secret. 
you know, and uh, that in itself tells a powerful story because it's representative of a lot of Aboriginal Durham city people, and urban people. Mm. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So here, this is a picture. Now I've got this old frame out of my dad's garage. God bless him, he died 27 years ago. But yeah, this is a photo. We're looking at a photo of my mother when she was six or seven years of age, sitting in the backyard. Um, with uh, Mum was saying this is Granville, I thought it was Harris Park, but it's actually Granville, um, where a lot of Durrig families lived. So you've got Maria, uh, my mum, and her brother uh, Roy, and Charlie Cheesecake, and I can't remember the other dog, but anyway. <laughs> the little dogs. <laughs> and they're barefooted, you know, they're very, they didn't have much, you know, they really were. 1939, yeah, hey? Yeah, very poor at the time, so. Um, what you can see is a spiral of white dots circling from mum's heart outwards because this is her connecting to me now standing in front and telling you about this but here are written down are all the little snippets of stories that mum knew as a child but didn't understand that they were direct stories so she, you know I, I was telling her that uh, you know the Duan is actually a Darug story of a death bird mum because she was telling me how her mother just screamed because she heard the, the duan and not long after her brother died. You know, so, yeah, these are powerful memories from my mum's childhood, but not knowing the context, you know? So that's why that's a powerful piece to me. That was, see, that was one of the first ones they acquired. Acquired in 1997, hey? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same as this other one that I spoke about, oh, the yeah. graffito. What's the technique again? Scraffito. Scraffito. Yeah, oil pastel and then, you know, scratching through it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I do remember from my own uh, yeah, every, every school. Every primary school. Yeah, <laughs> it's very familiar. And I love it. I love it. I haven't, haven't done it for ages. See, this one's 98. I think I've got 99 now. I need to just... Numbers are hopeless with me. Never remember numbers. But, um, so is that like a specific individual... Um, uh, or is it more collective? A collective it's collective, football. it's collective, it's not a specific person, no. Um, I just wanted to show that tree Aboriginal baby, um, just a very immediate, what's that about, you know, but it's a child spirit, so, you know, coming from the earth into the mother sort of thing, that connection. So what was one of the other, the others that this were, one were is already another one. done previously? Well, these are ones that I did, um, that's 2009, it's a bit later, but I was exploring a different technique. So this one's using actual ochre from the ground and uh, charcoal and paper bark. Why is that important, ochre from the ground? Because it's the earth. It's is that a what good you're question? connected to. Yeah, well, <laughs> the ochre from the ground is our blood, you know, it's the blood of the ancestors, you know. It's the blood of the earth. So it's very much connected, and you'll see this in a lot of my paintings. Yeah, yeah. And the paper. I like how it's almost like a progression. Yeah, from yeah, a very yeah. similar kind of thing. And I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just doing it. Now, is that what date? Oh, let's see, it's 2008, and I guess 2009. Jeez, I'm shocking, but that's. Oh yeah. But yeah, but I the, like the um, 
yeah. and like the, I guess it's light. There's a light source. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. off screen. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I love doing weird and wacky stuff. And, uh, and the paperback, I did a whole series of that for a very long time and then I stopped doing it. Um, I don't know why, I just thought, okay, that, that was a gimmick and I know I can, I can do that again and sell it. I know that. But um, I got bored with it, so moved on to other mediums. And that's that where, you know, um, seize opportunities. Uh, things will come up and I'll go, I don't know if I can do it, but I'll have a go and I'll dive into it. And that's how I got into all the glasswork. So went openness to creative yeah, processes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You tell us about these yeah, glasses. Okay. How did these come about? Now, the glasses... Um, well, what are we looking at? Can okay, you describe right. what we're looking at? Okay. Now, we're going to be competing here. Oh, yeah. But, um, I'll stand it's in front right. of this It's sort of like a distant echo. This glass was um, inspired from a few other projects I'd done before. I used the same glass blower to Ben Edels and his wife, Kathy Elliott. She does all the coal work, he does all the glass blowing. And um, we worked together in 2000, I think it was 2015, it was the first time. I just went through looking for glass blowers in Australia and happened to find, oh, beautiful gum leaves that they'd blown. And I loved how they looked. And then I saw that, oh, they're in Manly. Oh my God. And I contacted them instantly, straight away, instant rapport. And that's another way where I know how spirit's working because it was instant connection. And we've been good friends ever since now because I've done three other projects with Ben and uh, get very hands-on. I've chosen the colors, the shape, the design. These are incorporating two. One was from the Biennale. I've used some of the original eels from the Biennale. I was selected to be part of the 23rd Biennale show. Um, first time for a Durag artist, which was like, yay. You know, pretty impressed with that because it means our voices are getting out there. And so the whole purpose with the eels, initially, you'll see it with uh, the animation as well. The eel is like, also seen as a creator figure here. Um, you know, there's stories in neighbours, and we've picked it up from other neighbouring mobs, but we've also got etchings in rocks that have been destroyed, but we've got records of those. 30-foot eel etched into the side of a rock on the side of the Hawkesbury-Nepean River, or the Jarabin, we call it. And that alludes to Garangatti, um, or Garangatch, they call him up in... Um, Gumingara country, which is one of our neighbours, they also have a creation story um, about him, the creating the earth, um, being chased through the earth and creating the mountains and the waterways and the valleys. And um, that's the creation story, but the eels themselves are such fascinating creatures. Their life cycle is just unbelievable and they're adaptable, freshwater, saltwater creatures. Um, they apparently only have sex once when they head off to the Coral Sea up north. All of the eels at different times, whenever they get whatever it is that suddenly goes bang, they head off. Uh, are they heading off time. somewhere, these so eels? So these are heading out to sea. You can see the two ones out the front there, they're already ahead. And they go up to the Coral Sea where they spawn and they die. And then the young ones come back along drifting with the currents down the coast and into the rivers. And there they go from being a saltwater creature uh, into the freshwater and they feed on the microorganisms in the river and become the colour of the river. So, you know, when they're coming on the, the coast, 
coming down the coast on the, on the current, they're known as glass eels because they're little tiny transparent, millions and millions of them. Um, but uh, yeah, those that make it up, they go up into the rivers and they inhabit places along the river up to 50 to oh, this records of an eel being 120 years old over in northern hemisphere um, but down here they're incredible adaptive resilient creatures you know they make their way up over the even warragam dam they're found on the other side of the dam i put a post up on my facebook page and said who's seen eels in the mountains and oh, all these people just came in they'd seen them as far as you know, Mount Vic, so all the way up the mountains, these eels have made their way in the fresh water. Sometimes they get landlocked, uh, other times they'll move through, cross land in the middle of the night, cross land to another waterhole with the, Determined yeah, and uh, resilient. unbelievable. And see, Parramatta was one of those meeting places, so would have, George's River would have been that too where people gathered to eat the eel, you know, and they'd come from everywhere. If they'd come from down the coast, the Darul Mop would come up, Dark and Yong, you know, Gunnagara, where actually would all come together and converge, and they'd have ceremony, you know, marriages, um, you know, all sorts of exchange, trade, and sit and eat the eels when they were at their fattest, when they were heading out to sea, you know, that's when their ceremony would happen. So it was an indicator plant too, the, uh, in indicator animal as well. Um, you know, certain uh, wattles would come out to indicate this is the running of the eels. The eels are moving and then ceremony would happen. Yeah, so it's, uh, I've purposely, you know, I've done three different versions of these eels. One was a suspension in Blacktown Hospital, 88 eels suspended. Like, it's incredible. Um, three stories high huge big thing I was the artist who designed it and everyone else came together and had made it happen that was my first public art installation what do you mean everyone came together and I made had it this happen? group of people I got approached by a company who said would you like to design an artwork as a Durag person as a Durag artist I said yeah and I just thought of the eels because you know the call of home I called it and so it was like you know that continuing cycle and so that became um, the start of it and then um, uh, I had all these other people the you know, en design engineers the construction crew the it was a massive massive group of people that I had to work with and it took three years for it to be actualized um, blew my mind how it all happened and it, during that time every single person involved in that project there was five different people all saw eels at different times in their natural habitat. They'd never seen it before. One was walking stolen in Centennial Park. Yeah, that used to be an eel track, it still is. You know, it's a part that they follow. So yeah, that was the first one. Then the second one was uh, the Biennale. And then I've had um, other exhibitions with the smaller sort of, um, the Biennale had them in a billabong with a sand bottom because I loved the glass reflections and I was inspired by a glass, a blown glass, like a drinking glass sitting on the table. I saw the sun come through it and it just pushed this light across the table and it just had the ripples of the glass in the... I thought, wow, that's amazing. And that's what inspired that whole idea of looking at the reflections that are cast from these figures. And I did that with the Biennale on this rippled... Um, carved 
sand bed that these guys had put together for me. Um, and that wasn't as lit as well as I would have liked it because out in the sunlight it's beautiful. But this time I had a chance to put them and suspend them so that the light came down through them and cast the reflection onto the wall. So you knew that you wanted, or well, I'm figuring yeah. that you knew that you liked the notion of having the light yeah, interplay that's with what it the was. glass. Yeah, that's and what this is about. You just got to have exactly. make that happen yeah. somehow. And they did create it pretty well. Like I remember, we had the first the guys who were doing the lighting. They didn't know what I was wanting, but the first time we held a eel up up against the wall with a torch, and they went wow because it just went kaboom, you know, it exploded with colour. And so they, you know, yeah, let's go with that. So this is what they've done now. And then I said, I want that ripple of the water. I want it to be sort of emulating that movement on top of the water. So instead of focusing just on the glass, you're actually also looking at the reflections cast by those. I mean, you know, you always think, oh, I would have done this. I could have done that. I could yeah, it's all right. <laughs> There's plenty of scope. <laughs> I'm interested in walking down there, but it yeah. is a little bit noisy yeah. for our purposes. Well, let's just look. Oh, There's yeah. the gabbro. That's gabbro. Mana gabbro. So it's collecting mangrove worms. So this was um, acquired by the Liverpool Council. Um, won a prize uh, because it was showing the women out hunting the gabbro worm in the mangroves. And people don't associate with the, the name gabbro. is cabro, cabra matter. You know, so, yeah, I guess I'm highlighting those things that are still here that people don't realise. Yeah, they're little pieces of evidence, yes. little kind yeah, of twinkles yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. of something yeah. that is, has happened. Yeah, and it's sitting below the surface and people haven't seen it yet. This is done in 2017. I love the fact that it's <coughs> down the bottom, mm. the bottom third is the, the actual mangroves yeah. that are like yeah. vertical. Yeah, and then coming And then up. the top third yeah. is like this. And then the figures, human And if I figures. told you how quick that was, you wouldn't believe it. Because honestly, these things, bang, you know, within a week, that's done. You know, just a couple of hours here and there, not even thinking, like free form. And it just came up. These things just happen. I go, wow, that looks great. Go with that. Yeah. Amazing. I still see some chalk marks. <laughs> Oh, like a construction line. Yeah, little, yeah I'm very messy. I'm a like, messy, messy artist, actually. It's very um, high contrast and it's sort yeah. of, it's kind of uh, layered. Yeah, yeah. And yet it's only three colours. <laughs> this is the map of the Georges River from the fresh water to the salt water. My brother, I drew it up. My brother added his touch and then my son blew it up to this. I coloured it and then someone came in and painted it on the wall. Oh, so. there it is. <laughs> yeah, that's Kasula there. But I wanted to show that freshwater salt water because it matches with this. So freshwater, mm. they're leaving the freshwater going to the salt water. Yeah, it's such a, such a kind of, um, I can't even think of the word to describe it, just on a symbolic mm. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot Yeah, what they call that. synergy, is it? Synergy, where they come together? Yeah. And these women are talking about the fish. They all had, they got together and they all found out they had fishing in common as children. Yeah, okay. It's a beautiful thing. So they're all talking about how when it changes, 
they're talking about their childhood. Yeah, we won't get too close because yeah. we'll get drowned out, I believe, yeah. but from yeah. a distance. So these are the women that you spoke to. Yeah, that's their families and then generations of their families. So, you know... Did you ask him questions or did you yeah, just have a bit I, of a yarn? I, no, or? no, no. I had leading questions. Always leading questions. What did you ask him? To say, oh, how do you feel about being Darug or... Uh, what do you think of your ancestor or uh, what do you know about your childhood growing up near the river um, and it would start like that and what do you think of what oh wattle well what would be that you know they'd talk about the fish so what do they say about the wattle well there's certain wattles that come out and signify the 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 coming of the eels and also the mullet so all of those things were indicators of that time of the year so it helped with that layers yeah. So you captured, I guess I can These imagine... These are their portraits. There's so many portraits, I can't believe. And that's done with red ochre as well. So ah, I've right. used actual ochre that Within I've Within the up. actual people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you spoke to them, I guess, over multiple sessions or just in one session? We did one session here. Yeah. I, I met with them on two Zoom meetings just talking about what I was wanting them to, to do. And, you know, everyone's very... I was really really concerned of being protective of their stories you know I wanted to honor their stories and not you know like I had to I realize that I always do this I jump in the deep end and go oh shit you know better start paddling and I just thought what do you mean jump in the deep end well I just jumped in oh yeah I pick their stories up and everything (laughs) yeah 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 exactly too much asking too many many questions or something yeah well also knowing how guarded people are with their stories because what are you going to do with this oh well, yeah. yeah totally and i i had that encounter and i thought oh my god i hadn't even thought about that because that's not what it's about at all it's not about my you know my exhibition i actually wanted their stories to be elevated in this and then i had to say look you know um do you give me permission to use these pictures if you don't want them it's no problem if you don't like what i've done i don't need to have it in there you know, I gave them a lot of scope. Very open. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be like that. You can't be, you can't be egotistical with this stuff. You have to let it go and do its own thing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What? So you spoke to them, and then you. Yeah. How did you? How did the visuals? I said, send me pictures you'd like to include, and I was trying to get them to not get, you know, front-facing pictures. Impossible. <laughs> so hard. There's a couple there. There's one dancing. One of my friends. They're all friends of mine too. Well, new one, new friend through um, Kathy Lean, who she's the one with the boat. Her family's um, on this one with the boat there. Yeah, um, fishing hook. That's her family there. But um, the clay pipe to the white clay. That's Vanessa's relative used to make the white clay pipes, and all of us had that in common. And if you go over, you'll see a, a um, historical photo of a... Um, see the pipe in the photo? Yeah, yeah. And it's actually a picture of um, Karen's ancestors in there and possibly bees <coughs> and Vanessa's possibly. We don't know, but it's a picture of Gabrigal people sitting in, urban, in the early 1800s in front of what was the asylum at the time, the hospital. And now it's a TAFE building, and that building is still here, the same building. So you'll see that in the photo. And I've rendered it so that it's made them more human, because, you know, a lot of those old pictures, 
lose their personalities by you know, either clunky drawing or whatever. But I've softened it so it, it's more pertinent. But they've got the white pipe clays, all of them smoking white pipe clay. My ancestor, mum's great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother, no, great-grandmother smoked a clay pipe as well. So it was very common. And the white clay was sourced from you know, white ochre pits around here. So, Well, here's two here. Right. Um, this one is one that one of my early pieces. I'm still learning. This is called the Durham Story of Western Sydney. And I think it's fairly evident. Like I've got, I did this in Mum's backyard when I was living at Mum's when I first come down from Darwin. And it's got every single thing you can imagine. And this is even before I knew about the eels. I was doing this. You know, like it was a theme that was in it right back. I like the fact to me yeah, as a viewer, yeah, an yeah, audience responding yeah. to it, it's like I got the sense of it's almost like the overwhelm of just all this really detailed information. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then it's yeah. like, oh, here we are. Yeah. But it, it's got a kind of through line that's, yes. that's quite reassuring or yes. something like that. I know. People have said my paintings give hope, and I love that. I, oops, sorry. I love that. Um, that they give hope. And I don't even always see that because, you know, these Waratahs are severed because the Waratahs were given as a symbol of friendship to the colonists or settlers who were friendly and kind to our people. They were often given as a gift, a gesture. So here they're cut off because this is the Battle of Richmond Hill. And I'm depicting here where they, they, they had the yam beds that were torn up and ripped up to grow corn. And when our mob came down to get them, of course, they were attacked and killed. Um, you know, they didn't understand sharing over here. These mob didn't understand boundaries. They didn't have fences. So it's all of that, and that's all contained, and then the urbanisation, and then you've got the ancestors in the hills. So there's a lot of layers. So, you know, I think I was telling you about the fish and the birthing. So, you know, this one here, this is one of my later early uh, oil paintings, which I don't do as much now. It's called Wollama Mulumulu, which is uh, falling many falling stars returning. So, you know, that um, people coming, falling the spirits down to earth and then coming the woman, you know, and she's alluding to a tree. I like, all that yeah, it's kind of all the movement. Yeah. Like it's kind of like it's down yep. down and really flowing and yeah. then we're and kind then of in depth. the water yeah. but yeah. then the fact that she's kind of like yeah doing this yeah we're kind Arms of back out. up again yes yes yeah that cycle that mm. cycle yeah 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 no i love this one too it's so. very uh thick you can see the, the paint yeah um, yeah i had a lot of paint i wanted to use up i'm very practical <laughs> no i'm serious i do <coughs> mark i'm shocking I, I, and i have to explain to my students i'm a very lazy painter because i just oh, i've got all this let's use this <laughs> slap it on yeah true true but you know that way it stops you being precious you know you get too precious and it stops you from doing stuff this you is know? through the brush or palette not palette both yeah, both. yeah. Hmm. I like the colour, the colour, how it's got that depth it's got the to glazes, it. it's quite dark. Lots of glazes, yeah. <coughs> yeah, it was a painting of a tree and then I changed it because I wasn't using the tree. <laughs> I'm exposing oh, and then it my became secrets. a human figure. Yeah. Mm. All that kind About of About three or four in. years later. <laughs> right. Oh, I better pull this old canvas out and use it. <laughs> That's what that is. 
<laughs> so how many? Oh, we haven't. Yeah, we haven't yeah, talked this about one. this one. This we'll animation. Have a, have a sit down. Yeah. I'll just have a drink of water. It's a shame. It's so uh, light here. You can't see. Yeah, it. the ambient light. <coughs> that's just the yeah, exhibition space. Yeah, it's just space. how it is. Yeah, you can't sort of escape it. So this is a um, creation story. You know, I was reading a book about the eels called The Gospel of the Eels by Svensson or something. He's a Swedish writer who's talking anecdotally um, about his own childhood, but he's also talking about little snippets of historical aspects of the northern eels. And so that, where it opens with the sandstone, <coughs> apparently Aristotle thought that eels must have come from the mud because they could not find any gonads or sex organs on these things because they didn't develop them until they were ready to have that long ocean journey. And same with, then there was Sigmund Freud who spent 10 years on an island somewhere trying to work out the gonads, the sex organs, all of that about the eels. He studied millions and millions of eels, cutting them open, trying to find, couldn't find any evidence of sex, male, female, anything. So as needed organ. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Certain time comes, I don't know how they know about it. <coughs> and then next thing they go off on this ocean journey. So here they are in the coral sea, uh, spawning. I feel like we're dying. actually with, with them yeah, now. Yeah, it was so good to do, because this is actually using my glass eels, photographed. Ah, right. Yeah, and then animated. See, this is the beginning. And the formation of the eels. So they've just re reproduced, but then they've died in yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah, they go out there, reproduce, and die. So bizarre, isn't it? And no one knows about the eels. You know, there's still well, unknown know. questions. They only know bits. I only know bits. And there's so much more to learn. This is the thing. It's one of those mysteries, and I, I want to keep it a mystery. Over in the northern hemisphere, they're ex they're becoming endangered because people eat all those glass eels. Japanese love them. They're a delicacy. Whereas here, we have only had 200 odd years of occupation. And you just really hope like hell they're not gonna destroy it all, you know, because this is what happens. We don't understand until it's gone. So, yeah. So we've got another, have we got, would it be yeah, true we that, that we've got one last? Yeah, do you want me to try and get the sound? sound or oh, do you want to hear no, some well, maybe the sound? No, maybe if we just yeah. kind of yeah, we just view stand it from there. afar, we can. Yeah. So, so last minute edition, this is one of my more recent paintings and you can't really, this is called Mora Mora, which is Pathway to the Mountains. In the Willy Wagtail, that's my special totem bird that you're hearing that little whistle. Hearing I did this. notice there was yeah. a, a little, a bird. Yeah, well that's me. <laughs> that's my special bird, my mum's special bird. So this one's quite different from the others. Yeah, yeah, because I was playing around, I like trying to do different things. It's got lots of layers and you don't see, there's a whole bunch of people walking through that and I bet they can't see it. I, well, I think we better move closer then. Yeah, I think we, we should. <laughs> but well, it's talking about how we're one with the environment, you know, and you can see the em evidence of the serpent, the eel moving through the landscape, creating mm, the mountains and the plains. Mm. Yeah. And the birds are, yeah, are on top. Yeah. And there's the family. Oh, walking. yeah, there they yeah. are. 
gorgeous colours in that, I love it. Yeah, they're so soft. And you know, I'm using mural paints. <laughs> that it's actual mural, mural paints that I use on big murals. Oh, so right, it's right. Polymer paint. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. And ochre. And washes, yeah, ochre's at the bottom. Start off staining it with ochre. Yeah. See, this is quite a famous sketch. And this is her, Karen's ancestor there. She knows. That's Gilbert. Now, Gilbert found Fisher's ghost. You know Fisher's ghost? Yes. Yeah. The black tracker found out about... They found the body. He found the body. His father, actually. That's the, his son of um, Gilbert, who went out in Amart, who went out and found the, uh, the uh, body, and then they... Yeah. Got the convict who killed him for his land. He told everyone that he'd gone back to England, but he hadn't. He killed him. There's the pipe. Yes. There. <laughs> what's this device? Or what, or what's That's that shape? Ah, okay. Yeah, a Nawi, we call it. And I didn't expect you to be there. There's Karen here talking now. Yeah, I reckon we're competing now with the uh, oh, yeah. with the voices. Yeah, the voices are powerful stories. Uh, I feel like I know, I know her, that's her family talking. Yeah, it's quite a nice. Um, you feel like you're in, in uh, like enveloped by the, the kind of voices and the stories and the visuals. You're kind of in the middle of it, yeah. surrounded. Yeah. You hear this song? My sister and I are singing it, and I wrote the song. Layered. Doing everything. <laughs> Whatever I can, yeah, this is all part, this is all part. This is fishing. This is fishing, yeah, yeah. fish hook. We've got Leanne Tobin, Memories of Water, Badu. Yeah. So it, it, it opened in December, and it's got a, a couple more months to, yeah. to go. A good run, because of that whole educational aspect, you know. It looks a bit funny, that little one's hanging there, but anyway. Colourless. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the glass eels. The little one's going back to, to the freshwater. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if I'm to leave... I, I think what it is for me is um, re-establishing our, our place here. We're still here. We haven't gone. We've never left. And um, when I do things like this, it brings it to the surface so that people get to see and hear. Um, you know, they don't always recognise us. We walk around invisible. But it's very much, yeah, it's very much um, the story of the eel, which is an adaptable creature. It learns to go freshwater, saltwater, changes colour to fit in with its environment. Um, it's resilient, you know, gets over obstacles in its way. And I use that as a uh, you know, metaphor for the Durag, you know, that we're still here. We're surviving all the things that they've been thrown at us. We're in different form now, but we're still here and we're still custodians of this place. And I guess that's probably the takeaway message for me is um, caring for country because we all need clean water and clean air to live. So. In this episode, I chatted with Leanne Tobin. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes, including a link to Leanne's Facebook page, Tobin Art, and a link to her current exhibition, Memories of Water, 
Badu at the Kasula Powerhouse Arts Centre until April 29, 2024. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.